Welcome back to another episode of Agile Way podcast, where we explore challenges organizations face on their Agile journey. How to become great Scrum Master, how to change your leadership style, or how to embrace agility at the organization level. I'm Suzy Shokova, Agile coach, certified Scrum trainer, and author of the great Scrum Master book and Agile Leader book, and I'm your host for this podcast. I'm passionate about business agility, organizational culture, and Agile leadership, and that was the reason why I decided to start this podcast, to share with you my experiences and stories from my Agile journey. Welcome here, Jordana London. She is the author of a wonderful book called Cultivating Transformations. And uh, recently she published a second edition of that book. So can you tell us something about that book? Like why did you decide to write it? Sure. Thank you so much, Susie. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Um, Yeah, I decided to write the book because I did this job of transformation leader before it had a name. And now I see that so many people are in that role and it's a hard role. It's a really hard role to be in because you're, um, you know, you're being asked to make change from sometimes from the people, the very people who are resisting the change, but they don't realize ahead of time. So you're sort of in the system and trying to change the system. And I thought, boy, it would have been nice to have like a companion guide that I could carry with me and get some solace from and some guidance. So I decided to write it. So tell us something about your beginning. So where your first experience with this type of work started? So I was in technology. I ran a software company for a while um, and and I went to school for computer science and math. And I felt like, boy, those are such smart people in the university that then become the most hated people in every company. Why is that? And so as a software developer, I sort of was more more interested in solving that problem than I was in writing software. So um, then, you know, that became my mission to figure out, like, why is this happening and how can we better organize to, to, like, make use of these very brilliant people that are in every company? And then Agile came along and I was like, yes, this is definitely at least part of the solution. So then I went into the space more about transformation than about software. And I assume every beginning is a little difficult, right? So so you might be facing some challenges. So what kind of challenges you've been facing at the beginning? What was the most difficult for you? Well, it's always challenging still even because making, you know, helping large organizations that are sort of have embedded processes and cultures, it's hard, even if everybody there wants to change it. So that's, those are some of the challenges. Um, a big challenge I had was just in myself, in, you know, not coming in as, and I talk about this in the book, not coming in as a zealot wanting to change the organization, but learning to connect with the actual people in it. So that is, that's a big piece of it is knowing how you impact the people around you and not just like, I see the system, I see the solution and I'm going to force it down your throat because I am right. So getting to that, and that's why the book is arranged in three parts. So the book is the first, the first part of the book is this, the me, which is how, how am I myself impacting the system? 
And what do I need to do as a transformation leader in terms of introspection? And then the second part is the we of how do I connect with other people and connect other people together? And then the third piece is the system. Uh, I think a lot of us or some people just see the system and forget about the, how I impact it and how I'm connected to people. That is true. The me part is very difficult because from my experience, people always or very often see each other, or see themselves uh, like from a very different perspective or I'm acting this, but when they got the feedback from the other people, they see, well, maybe I'm not acting like that. Wow. You know, I think one of the things there, Zuzi, is that sometimes we think our impact doesn't matter. So sometimes it's just like, hey, I'm just going to sit in on a meeting and it's, I'm just going to sit sit in on, I'm just going to observe. I'm not, you know, don't mind me, but you have an impact no matter what you do. Even if you say nothing, you have an impact and realizing that and what it is, is key. Well, that's interesting. I need to think about it. If I don't say anything, I have also an impact. Interesting yeah. perspective. In some things I do it intentionally, but maybe when I don't, I should think about it. Nice idea. So tell me something about that we space the we space. Yeah, this is the space where we are connecting with other human beings, building things like building rapport, getting buy-in, getting buy-in is a big one. Um, all of those things that we do to connect with other people and connect people together, uh, that's all key. So one of the questions I always get is like, how do I get buy-in? And understanding that, understanding how we how to communicate and build rapport is so important in the transformation space because you are an influencer. Um, one of the things I always talk about there's a balance between um, speaking the truth and being able to say what needs to be said and also being diplomatic. Because honestly, if they can't hear you, it doesn't matter how truthful you are. So it doesn't mean that you're always, um, that you have to be political and always say, massage the message, but it does mean that you have to, you really have to think about the diplomacy and what parts people are ready to hear and when. So when people ask me about, oh, how do I get buy-in? I always say, you were hired to do the job, right? <laughs> right. The company hired you to do the job. So you really kind of need to do that presumptive close of I'm here to do this job. Here's what I need to do. Not asking and begging for permission to do the job that you were hired to. Now that doesn't mean being offensive and abrasive and a jerk, but it does mean assuming that you're hired to do the job that you were hired to do. I very often deal with people who feel like I cannot change anything. I cannot do things because I'm not, I don't know, the VP level or manager or whatever. So what would you say to those uh, constraints in their heads? When I think about people being frustrated with like having that low, they call it locus of control or span of control where they can't influence. I say, look at where, what you can influence and what seeds you can plant. That I think we really do underestimate the power of planting a seed. Someone just said this to me the other day. It's just because in the conversation, the person appears not to hear you. That doesn't mean they didn't hear you. Uh, somebody was telling me like that her company started doing something that she had recommended years ago and she didn't get the credit. And I said, they heard you. They might not remember that it came from you. They might not give you credit, but they actually did hear you. And they, and you did plant the seed. So there's tremendous power in that. I don't think, again, it's about you don't realize what your impact is. You don't realize the seeds you're planting that may grow later. So keep cultivating them. And in your, in your influence, because you have a low span of control in your job, 
that doesn't mean that you aren't influenced. You influence someone who gets promoted. You influence someone who talks to someone else. You're, you're still an influencer. I like that. I'm going to steal that sentence. You are the influencer. Wow. So nice. Nicely said. Yeah. And I really love that seed analogy. I'm using it a lot. I always just say like, if one thing will stay in your mind, it's this one. And it will be like clicking to your head all the time and say like, hey, hello, I'm here. Susie said something. Maybe I should think about it. No, I'm not ready to hear that. And then year after year after year, sometimes you hear people like say, oh, you might not remember me. But three years ago, you've been telling me this and now we are doing it. Wow. And then I always feel like so good and I'm ready to plant those seeds like everywhere. And that happens, like it comes back years later. You didn't realize that you, like you realized in that case, but in a lot of cases, you don't realize the influence you had. So be mindful of the fact that you- Very true, very true, yeah. So um, that's the we, and now the system. In my experience, that's very often too abstract for people. So can you like explain what you mean by saying the system? How would you make it more tangible? Sure. I mean, the system is the operating model, the organizational model processes and structures that are in place. So this is what we look at a lot as agilists. It's, um, you know, what's our budgeting process? What's our performance management process? What is, what is our meeting scrum cycle? All of that is the system and those things support or, or destroy whatever you want to call it. Um, the, the work that we're trying to do, right? So they can either put an obstacle, so it's structure and flow. Either you're creating that flow and easing it, or it can create obstacles. So when I look at the systems across organizations, so budget planning is my favorite one because everyone hates that, Um, or or, yeah, I guess it's budget planning that we have that yearly cycle. It's not just, I know Agilist will say it should be more frequent. Okay, that's fine. But even worse than that, it's soul sucking. And it's not productive and it's not, it doesn't get the return on investment that of the time we put into it. So looking at that as a system of how do we allocate funds and invest in the work that we're doing, that's the, that's an example of a system. And so many parts of the company are involved in budget planning, right? Like everybody's involved forever. Um, and looking at like, well, why, and I was, I also talk a lot about why is it sucking and crushing our souls? Why is budget planning so soul crushing? And does it have to be that way? So tell us some inspirational and good story uh, from that system level, like something which happened really well um, in some organization, some example. Oh, I, this is what makes me, you know, this is what motivates me every day. Um, I'll give you one example. So I had an example of a client where, you know how it is. I'm talking about budgeting again. There was one of the um, one of the groups in the program needed to go up the mountain for some more funding because something that they didn't anticipate. So to their peers, they were kind of selling like, "Hey, this is what we're doing. Here's what happened. We want everyone to be on board with us going up the mountain to ask for more money." And and everybody was on board and said, "Yeah, that's totally worth it. You should totally do that." And one one of the peers at the table said you know, I have some budget that I don't think I'm going to use. I might use it, but I'm not sure. And if I don't need it until Q3. So if I do need it, you know, then we'll talk about it then. But why don't you take it for now? And everybody, the jaws dropped around the table of like, you're going to give your budget to another group. It was unbelievable. But that is the system working. And he looked at it and he said, what? 
what that this is what we're supposed this is agile right isn't this what we're supposed to do and I said it is what we're supposed to do just nobody does it but that was the leadership agility taking hold and seeing like I don't have to cling to what's mine I can I can be I can handle it when I need it and having some trust in the system so that was sort of the system um being a self-cleaning oven and actually starting to work and every and it was just such a happy moment I can imagine that is a, such a good story um, uh, I hear like every now and then the opposite right like no no this is my budget and even if we don't have any idea how to spend it we still spend it because otherwise we'll not get it next year and it sucks so sure that's the normal way that's why it was such a like the light shone through the window when this gentleman spoke <laughs> that's right that's right so um let's go back to that book right so you have uh, three parts but what else like for whom is it really dedicated uh, who are the right audience so i say that the audience is anybody who either has transformation in their title or is doing work that is changing a business changing the business or changing the way they work so it's uh, nowadays it's a lot of leaders so a lot of people have that transformation in their title, but even individual business leaders are transformational, even if they, if that's not part of their title, um, it's very pervasive nowadays. So I feel like anybody who thinks that that word resonates with them, a change leader, a, tr a transformational leader, a pioneer, anything like that, where they're sort of swimming upstream against the current, the book is for them. Do they need to have some formal education on Agile or understanding of certain things? Or how would you look at it from this perspective? You don't need to have any education actually of anything to, to appreciate the book. But um, I will say being in the business world is probably helpful because my mom said that it didn't resonate with her. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, okay, well, that is one audience that maybe it wasn't for. <laughs> Yeah, with, with parents, it's always difficult, right? Because they like to read those things, but they uh, very often are in a different context. So, yeah, yes. I, I totally so being, Working in an organization is probably the prerequisite, but that's all. Mm -hmm. Very nice. So um, you have a second edition. So I'm assuming the first edition was a bestseller. So what changed for all of those people who have the first edition? Well, Why should they care about the second one? Because there is always like one chapter or um, I assume, I don't know, we didn't check about it before, but I would assume there is one new chapter or something. So what is it? Um, so I'll say it, if you did read the first edi edition, um, you probably don't need to read the second. I'll be honest. Um, I didn't add a lot of content. I did just some editing. Um, we did change the layout, which was a little hard to read in the first one. Um, we changed the cover. But what I did do was I created, which is not in the second edition, but as part of this relaunch, I created an audio audiobook. So you can get that on Audible and other audio outlets, but it is me reading it and it is unabridged. So you can get you can get the audiobook. And we also have it in Spanish with the new with the new edition. So that is, yes, that is such a gift and now it's available to a wider audience. So, you know, maybe if you're a Spanish speaker, that's the reason why to get a book in Spanish. And if mm -hmm. you're too lazy to read or too busy to read, listen. 
Yes. And I will not be doing the audible in Spanish, the audio book in Spanish, but maybe someone will, but I, I'm not capable. <laughs> yeah. But how was it to read your own book as an audio book? Was it difficult? Um, it was surprisingly not difficult, but I will tell you that I, I did go to a studio and had a producer who relentlessly coached me do it again, do it again, do it again. There was a little bit of a, there was a little bit of mouth clicking. I mean, there was a lot of, yeah, that I wouldn't have known. So she, she was invaluable in coaching me through it. So um, without that, I don't know how I would have done it. So you actually become better speaker because of that. Because she coached you on how to, how to speak, right? Et cetera. So that might actually be useful for the other things as well. Interesting. Yeah, absolutely. But it's amazing how many things you're unaware of, because even if you speak on a stage, it doesn't matter if you have, if your mouth is dry, but when you're speaking if an air, I mean, I was in a um, soundproofish room, but an air, if an airplane goes by, it's not, it's not soundproof enough. So we had to redo it. <laughs> oh, that's, I know the things you don't think of. Hmm. Okay, so let's look into the future. So you finished that book, then you did a second edition, some reading, etc. So now you have it all over that way. This way, what's next? Do you have an idea oh, of a next book already? Uh, I have a lot of things going on that are not a next book. I will do another book someday. But you know what I say about the first book is it it germinated and I birthed it without really. I didn't. I wasn't trying. Like it just birthed birthed itself. So when something else is ready to be birthed, I will birth it, but I don't really know when that's going to happen. But in the meantime, I have a lot of stuff going on with this book. I'm putting, um, just had a meeting today, actually, I'm intending to put on some online training so that you can connect with others. I'm also doing book clubs too, but um, so that people can connect together about the content, people with the job, the title transformation lead or whatever their title is that has transformation in it. It's like, what do we do next? Because there is really no body of knowledge for people with that title. So I'm creating a community around it. Look for more, maybe some, maybe some um, forums about uh, transformational leaders. And then the other thing that the other exciting thing I have going on that's next is I will be the guest editor for the next edition of the Business Agility Emergence Journal. So that is that is promising and really looking to be a fantastic issue. So definitely check that out. It will not be about transformation leaders. It will be about designing for organizational agility. Mm, I really love the journal. It's like uh, curated by interesting people like you. And the <laughs> stories you. are really great. So it always ends up in my mailbox and I am reading it and enjoying it. So have you, you not been guest editor yet? You should be guest editor. Yeah. So if you haven't heard about it, get it. Business Agility Institute have the emergence journal here. Our, yeah. both of us would recommend it I guess now look even more into the future right where do you see this agile leadership is going or transformation leadership is going what's the future of it I think that the transformational leadership is how we change the world honestly like one of the one of my core beliefs that I don't usually say out loud but it's in, inside my heart is we spend a lot of time at work and if we have, if we are working and spending eight plus hours a day in a toxic environment, what does that, how does that extend to our society, right? So our society is filled with the toxicity that we bring home from work and that we have at work, to be honest. And so it bleeds into how we live. So I think if we can have, you know, 
have these healthy, happy, soulful workplaces, we can have a happier, healthier, soulful society like that sort of extends into our lives. So, but we spend so much time there. That seemed like a really good place to start. Sounds like a good wish. Now, what would be the first steps to get there? Start getting there, maybe not to get there, but first few steps, tiny ones. Well, I think the first step is having, you know, transformational leaders that can affect positive change in organizations. I think um, the next step is what I talked about, about creating community of these folks where we can have a collective voice. So that we don't have yet. We don't have a collective voice of transformational leaders. We have just a lot of people who are enthusiasts and have and get paid for being an enthusiast, to, to be fair, but we haven't yet banded together. So that's the next but the next space. I'm seeing a lot of folks um, spoke to Lisa Adkins the other day about and Joanne Stone about planetary um, challenges. So it can extend into that arena, but I'm still I'm still of the mind that it starts in the workplace. Yeah, the workplaces need to change and it's quite visible recently specifically where people start to be too picky and they don't want to work in certain environments and they really start choosing the companies and some other organizations have a very difficulty to hire new people because they want to stay and they don't want to you know, stay in that toxic environment. Isn't that a wonderful thing? That's people taking empowerment and voting with their feet. And, you know, this is funny because I did, I studied very carefully the book on servant leadership by um, Robert Greenleaf. It's a short little book. If you haven't read it, it's like 60 pages. You should totally read it um, because people say it like we all know what it means. But when you really read it, it's, a, it's there's some more nuance there. And one of the things is that he he says, and it's like, whoa, and I, I'm not going to quote him directly because I'll screw it up. But it's it's not so much the fault of the leader that's not a servant leader whatever he calls that um it's the followers because when you follow a bad leader you're validating that behavior so when you walk and you great resonate or whatever you do um then you're you're actually showing like we are not condoning that leadership style anymore i like so it I as well because they take the ownership and make a decision and mm-hmm. now people start talking about it and they start to be afraid what's going to happen? And you still hear the conversation like, ah, no, they got used to it. They come back. But I don't think they will. And it starts to be really interesting. So let's see what the future brings, right? It can be pretty much anything. Right, right. I mean, there is a supply and demand issue. I mean, when people are broke, they will take, you know, we know from history that you will do any job when you're broke. I know from my own history. But I think it's a really interesting sign of people taking their power. Also, a bunch of unions sprouting up is you know, the, the re-emergence of unions is another sign of people saying we're not okay with this. That's right. So my last question would be, if there are like three things people should um, remember from that book, what would it be? Um, let's see, three things. All right, first thing is just think about how the practices that you're using at work, the processes, the practices, whatever, can can embed a sense of soulfulness. So any kind of practice that you feel like is crushing your soul, there's a reason you're doing it and there could be a soulful purpose. So see if you can pull that in. And I have, you can look in the book or even on my website for the five steps to that process, but just look for ways to make, to connect the soulfulness. Um, That's one. Two, uh, let's see. Oh, so many good little nuggets in there. 
Uh, I, you know what? The, a second big thing is about emotional intelligence. Um, there's a lot to say about emotional intelligence, but the thing I'll leave you with is that great leaders are informed by emotion and not controlled by it. Right. So we want to be able to recognize our emotion and use it as information, but not be controlled and driven by the emotion. So there's a lot of times they say, you know, to suppress your emotions. I don't know about suppress, <laughs> but certainly not let them control you. And then the, the third big, big takeaway from the book, hmm, let's see, is I think we talked about the buy-in, right? Of say of just realizing, because I always get that question of how do we get buy-in? And I think that big takeaway is you need to really do, be doing what you're doing for your organization and not necessarily for someone that you feel like you need to get buy-in for. You're in service of the organization and act accordingly. Yeah. Thank you very much for sharing. I need to get that book. I admit I still don't have I'll it. Send, for whatever I reason, I don't know why. Okay. I said, I I'm sorry. It. I my, my PR person will definitely shame me for not sending you a box. So please send me your address and I'll send you a, I have a whole promo box for you that I was supposed to send yeah, you. No, that's okay. Yeah. You know, I'll do that, but thank you very much, but I'll need to get it because it seems to be fascinating. I like specifically that emotion part you shared. That's actually a great one, which catch my attention. Mm. I really like that way to saying it. So I think that there's was a lot very of, useful. There's a lot of good nuggets in there. A lot of them aren't mine. You know, I credit, I made every attempt to credit for who they are, but mm -hmm. I think I pulled in a lot of wisdom. Mm, very nice. Very nice. So thank you very much for your time and being here. It was my pleasure to host pleasure. you here. It's a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Agile Way podcast hosted by Zuzi Shukhova, author of the Great Scrum Master book and Agile Leader book. If you love listening to this podcast, please leave us a review. If there is any topic you are particularly interested in and would like to hear another episode on it, let me know. For more information about me and my Agile classes, visit our website, sochova.com s-o-c-h-o-v-a dot com thank you for listening <laughs>